I am Brother Cornell West, and this is Hip Hop Can Save America. Peace and love, everybody. It's your man, Manny Faces. Just wanted to let you know that Hip Hop Can Save America is now available as a live stream show every Monday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Time on YouTube. You can find it at hiphopcansaveamerica.com slash watch. Excerpts from that show will be played here on the audio feed, so you'll still get the good interviews that you've been used to. But check out the live stream and check out my free Substack newsletter at mannyfaces.substack.com. That's filled with all kinds of stories of hip-hop innovation, inspiration, and generally hip-hop news that isn't about dumb shit. For everything hip-hop can save America, hiphopcansaveamerica.com. For everything Manny Faces, mannyfaces.com. And if you find value in this work, you can support it. We'd love to have you aboard as a supporter at patreon.com slash mannyfaces. Now let's go. This episode is dedicated to the memory of Terry Lewis, a.k.a. King Luck, f.k.a. Kid Lucky. Rest in peace, brother. On this episode of Hip Hop Can Save America, we hear from Genesis B, a lifelong artist-activist who has put her career and her life on the line, making politically charged music, groundbreaking public statements, and quite literally, history. My name is Manny Faces. Let's go. The thing about hip-hop uh, today is it's smart. It's insightful. The, the way that they can communicate uh, a complex message in a very short space is, is remarkable. And a lot of these kids, they're not going to be reading the New York Times. That's not how they're getting their information. So hip hop didn't invent anything, but hip hop reinvented everything. Welcome to another episode of Hip Hop Can Save America, aka the world's smartest hip hop podcast. For information about everything we do, visit hiphopcansaveamerica.com. If you find these shows valuable, you can help support the work at patreon.com slash mannyfaces. And follow our parent organization, the Center for Hip Hop Advocacy, on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Hip Hop Advocacy. Now let's get into it. Among pontificators, both familiar with hip-hop music and culture, as well as those with only limited exposure or understanding, there's a recurring lamentation when it comes to hip-hop's ability as a force for protest, for social justice, for activism. That often prevailing thought is that it used to be, but not anymore. Part of that is based on the landscape of corporate-controlled, cookie-cutter radio programming. Whereas so-called golden era hip-hop had socially conscious artists with songs in regular rotation on radio and on TV shows like UMTV Raps or Video Music Box, modern programming largely avoids the kind of substance that once shared the hip-hop airwaves right alongside party songs. Sadly, that's often the only metric by which hip-hop's role in the fight for social justice is gauged. Yet, as I point out in a couple of my talks, this is a bit of throwing the activism baby out with the iHeartMedia bathwater. After all, hip-hop-based education doesn't sit at the forefront of the standardized academic industry, but there are individuals and organizations that are making incredible impact at that intersection, in nonprofits, in progressive school environments, in after-school programs or community-based settings, in virtual settings. Don't believe me? 
and listen to some of the other episodes of this show. Now my point is, the same thing exists in hip-hop-based activism and civic engagement. While there's the occasional eruptions from among the volcanic peaks of hip-hop celebrity, Diddy's vote-or-die campaigns, or recent social justice summits associated with his Revolt TV, or Jay-Z and Meek Mill teaming up with capitalists and pundits to form the Reform Alliance, or Killer Mike's fiery speeches that appear here and there on mainstream media, I truly believe that the real impact comes from those that are situated a bit lower on the mountainside. Hip-hop-minded activists and artists that are much more in touch with the people, issues, and communities than their upper-tax bracket entertainment industry brethren. Not only do they exist, but they thrive, working close with communities and complementing the resources of other groups with their own talents and abilities to communicate in the unique, compelling way that only hip-hop artists can. I tell a story of an OG from the New York City area, Majesty, rest in peace. And when him and Hassan Salam teamed up to orchestrate an album release party at, at New York City's Webster Hall, they brought in social justice organizations. So just like there's a merch table at the album release party, there was a table there with representatives from Cop Watch, which is an organization that seeks to hold police accountable for their actions, especially when it comes to brutality and other egregious abuses of power. That's what I'm talking about. To me, that's as influential as some of these big projects that are on display, not so coincidentally during election season, but not throughout the rest of the year. But I digress. From the moment I first heard her rap to the moment the world saw her stand on stage in New York City with a noose around her neck, holding the Confederate-laden state flag of her home state of Mississippi in a show-stopping display of protest, to her current work traversing the country, imploring evangelical Christians to vote morality over party. Genesis B has been the epitome of hip-hop artist slash activist. Her music speaks soul to soul. She has shown leadership in speaking across ideological divides. She uses her poetry and visual art to inform and inspire, and she helped make history with that whole Mississippi flag situation. You'll find out what I'm talking about, and you'll realize that this is what hip-hop activism looks like. Here's my talk with the incredible Genesis B. Genesis B. Good morning. Good afternoon. Where are we at? Good, good afternoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good afternoon. First of all, it's good to see you. It's good to see you too. I'm, I'm glad you're doing okay uh, under all these circumstances, yeah. <laughs> you know, as best as we can. Absolutely. Now, I've given uh, folks a little bit of a, a synopsis of who you are, but in full disclosure, I've known you for a long time personally uh, as you were living and performing in and around New York City. Uh, I had the pleasure of hosting an album release party. That's right. For the, uh, the Poly Trap, the Escape Tape. That's right. Yeah, back in 20. <laughs> Back in 2015, man, it's been years. Man, that mixtape still go hard, though. It's still it sure relevant. does. For sure. It really is. It really is. Uh, we also go back farther than that. Uh, as a journalist, I was covering you uh, on, on March 12th, 2011. Uh, as a younger, enterprising music journalist, I wrote this about you. I said, it's, this is 2011 now. I said, it should be noted that Genesis B also has a history of serving up a bit of social and political discourse through her music. <laughs> You've been certainly living up to that characteristic <laughs> since then. <laughs> yeah, man. That's life. That's it. So I called it way early. I said, okay, yeah, sure uh, Genesis be, be saying something. 
We'll circle back to the beginning, as it were, but I kind of want to start with where we are today and and why I wanted to uh, talk to you uh, specifically now. Uh, Over the years, the social justice issue that became a driving force behind your artist slash activism has been the Confederate symbolism, which was up until almost a literal minute ago, uh, still a part of the state flag of Mississippi, your, your home state. Yeah. There have been several attempts over the years to remove this symbolism, which I'll ask you about also. But as of right now, for those listening, what is the current status of the Confederate symbolism of the Mississippi state flag? Well, if you Google Mississippi state flag right now at this second, it says there is no official Mississippi state flag because it has been removed after almost 120 years that that flag flew in Mississippi with the Confederate emblem. Boom, smack head center in the canton yeah so yeah there is no flag yet so we vote on it in november that you know we um have a series of designs and a committee a commission to uh see which ones are going to go on the ballot you know i i actually created a design that is that is being seen by the commission as well right now because mississippi's the birthplace of american music people don't know that right all right. american music can be brought back to the delta blues so Indeed. that's what my my design kind of you know promotes nice okay so there's no it's like the uh the washington football team right now there's no <laughs> there's no name there's no it's just in limbo at the moment yep. uh, but it is very important that this is happening uh just explain to people uh you know it, it shouldn't have to be explained that confederate symbolism is highly controversial shouldn't be a part of official government seals etc cetera, etc cetera. why was this still there and how did you get to be such a vocal opponent of it still being in existence. So I stepped into the fight five years ago, about four or five years ago in 2016, when I did a very controversial protest at SLB's New York, where I put a noose around my neck, held it up with a fist and draped myself in a Confederate flag and had a few choice words for my governor at the time. Mm. Phil Bryant was the governor of Mississippi um, and he had declared April Confederate Heritage Month. So I did this protest in April and it just went viral. Like the picture of me went viral and a lot I, of people. I covered it myself, but a billboard had it. It was a big story. Yeah, for sure. New York, New York Daily News, Breitbart. So what happened was uh, people didn't understand or didn't know that the Confederate flag was still in the Mississippi state flag. They thought that all states had eradicated that after Dylan Roof shot these churchgoers, right? right. Um after he did that vicious act, Walmart stopped selling Confederate flags. I believe it was South Carolina or, you know, this, these different states took it down from their, their state capitals and things of that nature. But Mississippi, we still kept ours. Mm. So it was the last state to have it. And, and there wasn't a lot of awareness about it because people forget about Mississippi. So I came into this fight and brought national and international attention to the fact that the Mississippi state flag still had that imagery in it. And from there, um, you know, before me, the fight has been long before me. Right. With my, you know, my collaborators who are a little older than me, like they've been doing this work. Anjanu Ellis, the actress from Macomb, Mississippi, kind of took me under her wing. We did national press tours to bring more attention to it during that time. Mm -hmm. Mississippi Rising Coalition, Leah Campbell is doing amazing work. She's still doing amazing work. Mississippi Poor People's Campaign, the branch of Mississippi. My father even brought a lawsuit that made it all the way to the Supreme Court against this flag in 2001. 
you know? So it's like a generational thing. 120 years, people have been fighting to, to bring this down. And it literally runs in a family for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. I came in on the tail end, you know? So when I when people, you know, commend me for like leading this fight or leading this struggle, I have to correct them and say, I came in on the tail end. And like, there are people before me who've been building this momentum and I just helped blast that momentum out. Well, I think that's important because as a as a younger, you know, younger than the elders, so to speak, but also being connected to the entertainment industry, being a, a successful artist, touring and, and you're performing at SOBs to begin with, that you had a platform and you had some visibility. I always talk about the importance of hip hop, specifically hip hop music and hip hop musicians and artists to be able to affect change politically, not so much to have the big names, the Jay-Z's and the Meek Mills and the Reform Alliance and all the things that they, or the puffy, you know, vote or die. All that's great, and I'm sure it helps. But the real power is sort of the grassroots movements, the on-the-ground movements, just like with any political, you know, uh, movement. The real power comes from the streets and the people. Absolutely. Having that platform, being sort of an artist that isn't, you know, superstar status, but still connected to people and communities. How important is it that you did get, uh, even though at the tail end, you say, how important is it that you did get involved in this in this way? So important. So important that, you know, us of the younger generations are voicing our concerns and thinking and keeping in mind the younger generation coming before us. Like that's always kind of in the back of my mind of like, what am I leaving behind. Mm. So I have nieces who still live in Mississippi. Mm -hmm. I had to see one of my nieces walk across the stage at her graduation with that flag flying over her head. Mm. And I said, I'm not going to see my younger nieces do that. Yeah. And they won't. They may, they may be under, under your design. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who knows? What does it bring to the table? What do young people like yourself and younger, uh, as we see, like with the protests, the, the sort of the the new wave of protests? I mean, it's never it never stops, right? These yeah, things never yeah. stop. But totally. the new wave, for whatever you want to, you know, however you want to call it, uh, young people have been more vocal. You could take it to Parkland shooting the young people out there. Uh, everything after George Floyd, you know, young people have really. Uh, like you said, have their are finding ways to have their voices heard. What does that bring to the table? What does that deliver to the movement and various movements? I'm so proud to see what's happening with Gen Z. Like they are stepping up. They're actually in a very important point in human history where with the internet, this interconnectivity, the use of social media as a social justice tool mm. is very powerful and something that as a millennial, I didn't have when I was 20, 21, right. 22. It wasn't like how it is now, how um, like what they're doing with TikTok. And, you know, these these kids are really figuring out innovative ways to exercise their power, even before they're old enough to vote. And I'm so proud of that because that's that's what myself and my peers, we had to do. We had to be innovative because the generation ahead of us, like the civil rights era and boomers, they didn't necessarily pass down information to help us. Okay. Not that they're bad people or like anything like that. It's because there wasn't the access to the internet to stay more interconnected with up and coming activists. We have that now. Interesting. 
Yeah. We have that now, you know, and I, that's why I have my Bars and Blue Cups Academy that I'm about to launch online courses and Bars and Blue Cups videos because we have the option and opportunity to share what we've learned as activists with the next generation, the setbacks that we had so that they don't have to save them some time, save them money. Right. You know what I mean? So that's why I'm just like so excited about this next generation because they're going to have so much tools and information and knowledge at their fingertips. The, bl- that, the blueprint. Um, <laughs> oh man, it's it's the it's the tipping point. Yeah. Okay. Generation Z Z is the tipping point. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense because you do have uh, there was always that generational divide or that generational gap between you know the yeah. activist movements and and there's still Never philosophical again. differences, right? Never again. But we can have philosophical differences, but as long as the tools are available, all the information is there to make better decisions and uh, to uh, to what I'm looking for, not fortify, to galvanize. Yep. It can be done better now. Now, this isn't the, tell me about the Academy in a minute, but it isn't the first organization that you started to help uh, advance these ideas. Uh, tell me a bit, <laughs> little bit about, not as an artist, but also as a organizer of organizations <laughs> to try yeah, to work sure. these works. You had uh, the Still the Strive Till I Rise. Mm-hmm. Give me a little background on what you did outside of making noise by making music. Yeah, Strive Till I Rise actually launched in 2010. Uh, maybe a, a year before you wrote that, uh, you right. know, that blurb is named uh, Strive Till I Rise after Emmett Till. So T-I-L-L. Emmett Till, for those who don't know, is a young boy in Mississippi, 14 years old, who was uh, tortured and killed for supposedly whistling at a white woman. It later came out that that was false information. But it just uh, goes to show, you know, that there are systems in place to where young people, especially young Black POC, children at the intersection of race, gender, and class, literally cannot walk and live and breathe with the same freedoms. So I may strive till I rise to educate, empower, and inspire young leaders and activists to understand their power and exercise their power, and especially young art activists, be it hip-hop producers and rappers, be it young painters and... um, theater kids, like whatever your art is. And uh, Strive Till I Rise kind of goes to show them that your art is a powerful, powerful weapon of mass creation that can change the world. Yeah. And again, you've also, you don't just talk the talk, you have receipts (laughs) to prove it. Obviously, again, the moment, you know, at SOBs and everything that came with it. Also as an artist yourself, opening up, you know, art shows that have political tinge to them. Uh, A little bit of that has been happening as well. Explain a little bit about what you do on the artistic artist tip. So I have a traveling art exhibit called People Not Things. People Not Things, Bars and Blue Cups, all these little projects that I have are all under Strive Till I Rise. Right. Right. Got it. So it's all all part of Strive Till I Rise. So People Not Things is um, I started painting after my protest because I got so much backlash. And I got support, too, but I also got a lot of backlash. And this was the time where, you know, 2016, Trump was running for office. Our nation was torn, divided. Social media was a disaster. It was a battleground. So people came for me hard. So I kind of went through a dark period where I was like not in the public eye for months and didn't understand what was going on. I, I had a national platform all of a sudden. I didn't know what what I should say. So I like prayed. I meditated. I asked for clarity. I was drinking a lot at that time. Like. And something came to me and was like paint. I had never painted in my life. 
never even thought about it. I'm not good at drawing nothing. I'm still not good at painting. But anyway, <laughs> something came to me and was like, paint. And so I started painting. Like my hands just went to this stroke. It was like barriers. Now it's like my signature stroke. And um, the I couldn't see the barriers between myself and the people getting at me online. So I had to paint them to understand how to overcome them. Mm. And then finally something clicked and I had an epiphany. The barriers were the isms. It was the things they were calling me. The right. racist things they were saying, homophobic, misogynistic things. It was the isms, the racism, the homophobia, the sexism. That's when I realized that this, what I, what I did was divisive. Like I made a statement, I don't regret it, but it did divide my community in Mississippi and around the nation. So okay. I went back to my community and that, you know, and had one-on-one conversations with neo-Confederates and some neo-Nazis to try to understand like, you know, where, not where they're coming from, but I, I for my own selfish reasons, needed to understand why they thought that this flag should be flying. Hmm. I just needed to know. When you were going through these times of, you know, talking to people who were very, you know, diametrically opposed to obviously your point of view, what, what was the takeaway? A lot of us feel like that when we, you know, we get online, sometimes get into these horrible back and forths, telequalese type arguments online, um, or even in real life, when we have family members or we have people that, you know, just come across and you see like how adamant they are coming at you from a completely other side. Is it something that can be talked out or are there some barriers, as you say, that, you know, just aren't going to be crossed? Right. I think it depends on your purpose of wanting to speak to someone who has opposing views. Like your purpose and your intention leads everything. I don't recommend or when I speak to young activists and young art activists, I don't recommend that they go and start conversations with neo-confederates <laughs> you know like <laughs> right that was my path you get what i'm saying right. that was my right. my journey and something that i needed to do i don't recommend people do that one it could be dangerous of course um two it can be psychologically uh just bring up trauma and triggering you know and a lot of us just don't need that in our lives we you know we we can use our energy for other things but if somebody's you know wants to connect with a part of their family who's like completely opposite views then you really have to go in with the intention that it's not about changing minds. You're not going to change anyone's mind. It's about changing hearts. Mm. And that's what we were able to do with our conversations because I approached it. Like I really listened because I was really curious. Got it. You had the right intentions. You weren't trying to go in battling. Yeah. I wasn't trying to change their mind. I know, you know, I could, I could care less what they think, you know, I'm still going to do me. I'm still going to shine. I'm going to, I'm still going to fight my fight. Right. But I was wondering if there was any common ground that them and I couldn't stand on. And I found that there was things in the community that we all want for our children, that we all want for our elders. You know, so America's just so defensive right now on both sides. It's like polarized. Right. Everyone. So I don't care if you're liberal, conservative, everyone's just like huh, they're, that is they're the worst. And if you're ever coming from that standpoint, you know, you're not open to the synergy of ideas you're not open to true communication and civic discourse so america needs to learn to have love at the, at their heart first yeah and you meant it's funny you mentioned that america is this way you've often said that mississippi is sort of a uh, well, how you call it microcosm. mississippi is a microcosm mm -hmm. of america absolutely so what you saw on the ground in these small communities about this 
I don't want to say small issue. It's it's a, it's a localized issue. Obviously, it's a huge issue, but it was a very right. you know very localized issue. But what you saw, those attitudes, that ethos, that vibe is exactly what you see amplified throughout the country right now. Absolutely. Mississippi is a complete microcosm of America. And that could be said about a lot of uh, smaller towns and smaller areas all around America, you know, but I, you know, I'm from Mississippi. So Mississippi is the microcosm and I saw what could be done there in Mississippi. So I know it can be done across the nation. I know that our nation has the ability to heal and come together after the chaos. Mm. It's still happening. You know, we still have a long way to go in Mississippi. That, that sure. flag is, you know, a, a great step forward into healing because the conversation changed to where our, the brutal past, the brutal, brutal past of Mississippi against its black citizens was acknowledged for the first time that this symbol is actually traumatic and sugaring. That was never the conversation. It was like Southern pride, lost cause, like this is our heritage. That has mm. always been the conversation. So when the conversation switched and accountability has started now, now healing can actually begin. America needs to do the same. America still has not fully accepted the history of how black people have been treated in this country. Right. And until we do, we can't move forward. We need atonement. Right. We need atonement. Just like Germany did with the, the Holocaust. That's right. And, and to that point, uh, after the murder of George Floyd, all the protests, again, very much in the in the news for a while. Of course, the news cycle dies down and changes, but I know there's still a lot of work being done you know, on the ground. The work is still uh, very fervent, I think. You told the Mississippi Free Press that you noticed a lot of uh, moderate white people had hopped, you said hopped off the fence and, and joined the fight. How important is that to the overall fight? How confident are you that the changes we're admittingly starting to see some like Mississippi, you know, quite significant, I think. Some others more like PR moves, you know, lip service rather than real change. But we do see some progressive elections, you know, wins in that state. How confident are you? Uh, you said earlier it's a tipping point for the youth. How, how confident are you overall that this more recent collective uprising is going to make change? I'm extremely confident. I love what's happening right now. You know, I had an interviewer ask me the other day, they were like, you know, how you feel about these people like hopping on the bandwagon of social justice. And now that it's cool. Now that it's all that, you know, for someone like me, who's been in, in the struggle since I was literally a kid and people like in our circles in the hip hop community, who's been rapping about these struggles. And but now, yep. now it's cool. I say <laughs> I welcome them. I welcome them mm -hmm. to the fight. Better late than never. It's good to have you here. You've been missed. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't have no shade. I don't have no shade. You right. know, it's like, you know, people arrive when they're supposed to arrive. I really, really hate that it took George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Michael Brown, Trayvon Martin. I can keep going. You know, it should have happened. It should have happened a long time ago, you know, but the fact that they're to the table now, I'm glad that they're here. And, you know, I'm here to offer any knowledge that I've gained as a lifelong activist, um, any resource and networks that I have to, you know, help get them where they need to be. Because not all help is good help. Like, if you don't know what you're right. doing, you're going to get in the way of everyone else. You're going to get in our way, you know. So right. before you step out and start using your power and privilege, ask yourself and ask people around you who've been in this struggle how to best help. Right. Because you can you can trip us up 
Just, you know, because <laughs> right. we, we've been running this marathon. You coming in, you running slow, man. You might get <laughs> run over or trip us, you know? So that's, that's all I have to say is like, get people in your circle, consultants who have been doing this work to help you join us, join this movement. I think that's incredibly valuable advice because because those well-meaning people that, again, have just joined, have just been awakened or, you know, have finally said, I'm going to actually do something. Maybe they've been awakened before, but this is, you know, encouraging them to actually take action, which is needed, could get discouraged if they try things, doesn't seem to be doing anything, get, you know, they also need, yeah, they need the guidance too, because not just to not trip up everybody, but also to not get discouraged and then go back to their, you know. Yeah, their lives where they don't have to think about this stuff every day because the ones who are affected by this, there's no days off. There's no days off. Absolutely. No days off. Uh, What now for you musically as an artist and also, again, with the Academy and and some of the the actual uh, organization work and and program work you're doing? Tell me what's what's current, what's new. Where do people, uh, you know, come find out how to be maybe one of those people that don't get burned out, that needs the guidance and says, hey, I want to do something. Genesis, be your great advocate and great mentor. Tell them what you're doing specifically. Yeah. So uh, I just launched a YouTube channel and it's called Bars and Blue Cups. So if people want to go check that out, it's just YouTube.com backslash Genesis B where I'm basically sharing my knowledge, everything from my experience with overcoming addictions in the music industry to uh, what does it mean to shine bright? What is grants demystified? Like I have all of these from my artist experience and uh, activist experience, and I'm just sharing free knowledge with the younger generation or those who are new to the fight. So I'm actually been sending out a couple grants and seeking funding for Bars and Blue Cups Academy, which will be a series of online curriculum, online courses, webinars, interviews with, you know, people like you. And I'll be interviewing a lot of people in my network to just pass down that knowledge to the next generation or whoever needs it. You know, I don't believe in hoarding our resources. I think that's kind of how we got in this jam in the first place. If, if my generation would have had more knowledge and experience from the elders, I think it would have gone a lot smoother. And that's nothing, that's not, I'm not like, you know, talking down on the elders. It's not like that. You know, they, they didn't have a means of communicating with us like we have a means of communicating now. So that's Bars and Blue Cups. Um, on the music level, I'm actually recording and mixing currently my new EP called Tomboy that I'm releasing kind of based here in Atlanta, but you know, it'll be online digitally. Uh, I'm really excited about that, working with some production companies here, Galleta and Dreamland Productions. So that's Musical.ly and Bars and Blue Cups and uh, People Not Things. Of course, I'm always working on new visual art, but with COVID, I don't know when we'll be able to do more physical things, but I'll be ready when we are. And if people want to you know, find me online. I'm just at Genesis B everywhere on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Yes, indeed. And and you're right. I mean, the, the pandemic has thrown us for a loop in a lot of ways. You were doing a lot of speaking and, and you know, going around the country and speaking. Yeah, I was uh, traveling. I've been touring on and off with Vote Common Good from 2018 mid-election to this year. We toured from January to March and we're kicking off the tour again. I'm going back on tour August the 27th through November 3rd. Um, So we're going to be tackling swing states. So it'll be all, you know, uh, social distancing, outdoor events. 
Uh, but if people yeah, want to, I was going to say, how are we going to, you know, adjust to the whole? Okay, I'm glad that's still happening yeah, so in a safe way. We're hopping yeah. on the tour bus on the 27th, and um, well, I am. They already kicked off the tour um, starting in Charlottesville on the 15th, I believe. So, votecommongood.com is where people can find that if you want to see me speak live. What's the gist of that organization and your angle towards it? Because it's a little bit different than right. So, vote common good. Um, they are evangelist preachers and conservative uh, former conservative leaders former republican leaders they're going into republican areas to appeal the christian voters to vote with morality instead of party allegiance because christians you know historically you know have voted towards republicans so i am the poet laureate of the organization so i go and i do political pieces either to open up or close the events uh, and, the, and they do their speaking and they, they, they speak to their people, which are white Christian voters. Yeah, it's been uh, that's probably been a really interesting experience. And I think, like you said, uh, able to change hearts sometimes. That's kind of the, the proof is in that pudding, right? Well, I could tell you some <laughs> stories, but it's beautiful. <laughs> what they're doing is so yeah. bold. Like people are going to write about this in history, what Vote Common Good is doing and be like, wow, like they were really, really on the, the thumbprint and on the pulse of what yeah. was happening during the Trump administration. Yeah, it's a really interesting angle. And it's uh, it's one that I think confuses a lot of people as to why, Absolutely. you know, certain groups of people have voted the way they, they have. I think that that's um, a valuable work to try to uh, demonstrate the importance of looking at it a different way. As you say, morality versus party allegiance. Yeah. Interesting. We'll, we'll, we'll uh, make sure people check that out as well. Uh, anyone who's uh, so aligned with those philosophies might find common good in that organization. Yeah, so for sure. salute to you and them uh, salute to everything you do. We could talk for a couple more hours because you do so <laughs> many things, um, but you have really proven to me over the years. Uh, you're one of the first names, if not the first name that I bring up uh, when the topic of art activism, artists as activists, you know, come up, you've been doing it through your music. You've been doing it through actually activist, not, you know, not afraid to take a stand, uh, following in your family's footsteps. Uh, you've just been a, a, such a textbook example of someone that we can be proud of and support and watch and push and help and assist and whatever you need. Uh, we're there for you. Thank and we're, you so uh, much. I'm, I'm personally very proud of you and pr- very proud to know you. Glad I can uh, speak with you and find out more about what you're doing. So we'll look out for all the new stuff. We'll look out for you on uh, on the road. And I guess finally, uh, unless I've missed anything that you need to bring up. Nope. I think we hit everything. And you know, your audience can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Genesis B. I'm very accessible. If you guys want to holler at me and learn more and sign up for um, the Bars and Blue Cups curriculum, like a pre-order type thing before we drop that. I highly recommend that uh, listeners do that. And also, Come back when that's ready to launch, you know, and we'll talk more about that in detail and get into some specifics. And you. Uh, you may have people that are associated with that that we can get on and talk about the work. Thank you. Uh, lastly, uh, the name this is what I ask mostly everyone who comes on this uh, show. The name of this podcast is Hip Hop Can Save America. I know it's a lofty thought and we probably need more than, than just hip hop. Uh, but when I talk about hip hop saving America, it's obviously not just the music. It's the culture. It's the lifestyle. It's the ethos. It's people like you. Yeah. Not things, That's right. <laughs> but some things, but people like you uh, that are doing the work. You are hip hop. You've never strayed away from it. Some of the biggest moves you've made have been through hip hop. Even as a poet laureate, that's your hip hop. Yep. It's, it's all there. It's, it's all, all been there. there. I think you might have a great perspective on how hip hop can actually save America. So from your point of view, what are the best reasons that people should consider hip hop? 
music and culture uh, when looking for ways to truly improve lives and livelihoods and communities in this country? Why hip hop? Hip hop can save America because hip hop saved my life. Hip hop gave me a voice. I didn't even speak much as a child. I was super introverted. My native name is Shy Rainbow. That's how introverted I was as a child. Hip hop was my, showed me my superpower which was that my thoughts and ideas were worth vocalizing and people actually wanted to hear it. So hip hop has a way to empower young people in a way that I can't think of another tool that can do the same. Also, hip hop was birthed from our communities, the black and brown communities out of necessity. We didn't have much and people who didn't live in our communities looked at our communities like we were the ghetto, trashy, like less than that's how our communities were viewed you know it's birthed out of new york you know south bronx and we took what we had mixed it up literally sampled what we had and birthed a whole new genre that now is the most popular genre all over the world our culture is known all over the world think about that someone who takes nothing and makes it the most influential thing that's magic that is powerful if you really think about that. So hip hop is pure magic. If we could, if our ancestors could do that, make something out of nothing, just imagine how hip hop can empower any generation to come. Just this, just how hip hop was birthed, just looking back on how that happened is a very empowering thing and, and can save America and save those in America who feel desolate and feel like we have nothing. You have something, you have this magic, you have this innovation, it's in your blood, it's in your veins. You have this resilience to change the world and to be that seed and that spark that sets the world on fire in a positive way. That's it. Well, that is it. And you are an exemplary spokesperson for that concept. Thank you for your work. Thank you for all you do. Thank you for being brave. And uh, again, uh, we support you and we'll spread the the gospel of Genesis B far and wide. I have so much love for you, Manny. You've been supporting since day one, literally, literally. (laughs) So I just want to thank you for the work that you do. You know, without people like you, you know, the culture doesn't go on. The torch doesn't be, isn't passed. So thank you for this very important work. I appreciate the appreciation. We'll talk again soon. You'll update me as to your, uh, when you get back from, uh, from touring, changing the world one uh, stop at a time, uh, the Academy, and hopefully <laughs> we'll be all out of this madness soon enough. That's right. All right, brother. All right. Thank you again for your time. Yeah, man. Peace. Peace. Once again, I'm Manny Faces, and I thank you for listening to Hip Hop Can Save America, a.k.a. the world's smartest hip hop podcast. If you appreciated this episode, please take a moment to rate and review us at ratethispodcast.com slash hip hop. That's ratethispodcast.com slash hip hop. Easy to remember and very helpful to the cause. In addition, you can support the show and get some special offers at patreon.com slash mannyfaces. Every penny goes into being able to continue this and other work that advocates for the use of hip hop music and culture to improve society and uplift humanity. Now, this show was created, edited, produced, and hosted by me under my production company, Manny Faces Media, in association with the Center for Hip Hop Advocacy. And fun fact, I also produced the theme song. For more about my projects, including the award-winning social justice podcast, Newsbeat, 
information about my public speaking, my upcoming event calendar, and more, visit my online home base at mannyfaces.com. For all things Hip Hop Can Save America, visit hiphopcansaveamerica.com. Thank you for listening, sharing, supporting, and showing love. Appreciate y'all. We're out. Once again, thanks for listening to another episode of Hip Hop Can Save America, a.k.a. the world's most important hip hop podcast. My name is Manny Faces. You can find out more about the show at hiphopcansaveamerica.com. You can watch the show now as a live stream on YouTube, hiphopcansaveamerica.com slash watch. Check back for all the replays as well. The interviews from the live stream will be brought here onto the audio feed, so you always get the best of the live stream. You can also check out our Substack newsletter. It's free at mannyfaces.substack.com filled with stories of hip-hop innovation, inspiration, and in general, hip-hop news that isn't about dumb <laughs> Eternal shouts to our consulting producer, Summer McCoy. Be sure to check out her dope initiatives, Hip-Hop Hacks, and the Mixtape Museum. We'll be back soon with another dope episode, but check us out on the live stream as well. Mondays, 9 p.m. Eastern, hiphopcansaveamerica.com slash watch. Until next time, it's Many Faces wishing peace and love to you and yours.